Uh, this morning, um, just be, uh, as we kind of looked into God's Word, I want to share a couple of, uh, couple of pieces that will be helpful for our church family, because we've been asking uh, for our church family to pray about um, specific staffing kind of needs and realities that we've had here at Westwood. And so a couple of things that I wanted to share with us today, uh, you know, which are an encouragement. One is God has provided a, an administrative manager for our church family, and that is a huge praise offering. We want to welcome uh, Rolf Van Driesen to our staff team. Rolf has been serving as, uh, as an elder. Yes, we can give him a hand. <clears throat> Rolf and, and Joan, his wife, have been serving um, actively in... Um, in spiritual leadership here for quite some years. He's been serving on the Board of Elders and um, comes with um, significant uh, experience in business and uh, finance and, uh, and the church life. And so we are grateful, grateful for him. On the other side of that coin, so we're grateful for that. On the other side, um, we have been so blessed um, for, the church has been blessed for 12 years of having Twyla Morgan, our uh, children's ministry director, serve uh, faithfully uh, in our church family. And uh, some time ago, uh, Twyla started to talk with me about uh, uh, signaling a, a retirement point. And uh, I was like, uh, please, no. But, um, but we've been kind of talking that through and processing on, on the way. And so uh, we're starting to kind of communicate that as well. And so, uh, you know, end of June, um, you know, Twyla is, uh, is retiring from... Uh, from uh, sort of professional work and life and, and then from our children's ministry director position. And so we are so grateful for Twyla's leadership over 12 years. Like, what a run. Um, let's give her a hand today. <clears throat> Thank you, Twyla. <clears throat> and um, she's not done yet, and we are going to celebrate her, and so just be kind of watching for some of those pieces along the way in the coming months. But it is also something for us to then be praying about and to be praying for our Board of Elders as they too process um, uh, moving forward and what that looks like. So those are a couple of, uh, couple of things that we want to highlight for you. Um, also from Phil Pudlis and, and Del Reinheimer, they just want to say a big thanks to, uh, to our church family again for all the work that this church family has invested with um, the ministry event coming up this coming Wednesday uh, with um, our uh, neighbors, our downtown neighbors in, in uh, Prince George. And we want to be praying for, um, for that event and that God's Spirit would really, really guide in, in every way. And so, Lord Jesus, we uh, come before you this morning and we uh, we give you thanks and praise for uh, what you're doing and how you're working in our church family. Thank you for those who um, see needs, who see gaps, who see things that, um, that they need to um, put their shoulder to and are stepping into it. We're grateful for that, and we pray that you would um, continue to encourage our church family in that regard. So we pray for, uh, for Sandra and Steve and for the team of growing people that they have in, in this ministry of connecting. We uh, thank you for your provision of, of Rolf to our staff team and, 
and um, the experience and uh, the grace that he brings to that role. Lord, we ask that you would encourage him and make him a blessing um, among our staff team and, and indeed among our church family as we seek to operate with um, uh, utmost of integrity and grace uh, so that we can further the, the kingdom of God. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the children's ministry that that you've granted to us and um, for the leadership that you've given to us under Twyla. We thank you for her faithfulness for, for so many years. And we pray that um, as we walk with her to the finish line, that it would be one of great memories and highlights. We pray that, um, that we would look back on um, what you've accomplished and say thanks. We pray that you would um, give us direction and next steps as we trust you and as we walk with you. We know we can't do this alone, and we know that the need is great, and so um, we depend on you once again. Uh, for all these things, Lord Jesus, we, um, we say thanks, and we invite your spirit to lead. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, if you have your Bibles uh, with uh, you this morning, I invite you to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 4. We're beginning a, a teaching series in the Gospel of, of Matthew, and the Gospel of Matthew is all about the life and the ministry of, of Jesus Christ. His, his birth is what we celebrated at Christmas and uh, spent those four weeks of Advent in that. And, and then in Matthew's Gospel specifically, we fast forward about 27, maybe 30 years to his baptism, which we looked at at last week, and, and then we were able to celebrate, um, following Jesus' example, we were able to celebrate the baptisms of a handful of people throughout the week, and that was really, really encouraging and exciting, um, and for all those of you who are a part of that, um, you know that um, the stories of, of God at work in people's lives are truly, truly inspiring, and um, they encourage us, they challenge us in our, own, in our own walk with the Lord. And so, last week we looked at this this experience that Jesus had where he walked into the waters of baptism. And, and it was this amazing experience where, you know, where a, the voice of the Heavenly Father kind of booms from heaven. Um, the, the Spirit of God manifests himself in, in the form of, of some kind of physical you know, creature. Um, everybody there heard they saw, they witnessed what was going on, and it was truly amazing, once again emphasizing the prophecies of centuries before that God was actually fulfilling um, what he had said he would do, which was to send a Messiah, a Savior, into the world to save people from their, their sin. Now, Rather than having this awesome celebration immediately following the baptism, like most of us would have, and, and we had that here even this last week on several occasions, we were able to kind of celebrate with people and gather around them and have some food and encourage them and pray for them. Um, you know, those are kinds of the things that we practice in church, you know, in 2024. But for Jesus, that wasn't the story. Uh, what happened immediately after Jesus uh, walked through the waters of baptism? Well, that's the story that we're going to look at today. Jesus is immediately led into the desert, an isolated place by the Spirit of God who had just descended upon him to be tempted by the devil. Like what a downer on a great celebration service following a baptism. 
right? Tempted, led away, and then tempted by the devil. And yet temptation is something that you and I actually understand very well, we relate to quite closely, because we face it on a daily basis. Whether it's the food we shouldn't eat, whether it's the places we're supposed to steer clear of, whether it's spending money we don't have, whether it's sexual desires that are off limits from God's playbook, but we're, we're just prone to wander, whether it's business decisions which lack integrity, it's taking shortcuts in life and school that are not beneficial for our development, the temptations that face you and me on a daily basis absolutely abound. Now, I'm sure that none of you ever struggle with temptation. But if you did, how might you respond? <laughs> right? Uh, when I was 12 years old, I, uh, I had an affinity for fountain pens. Some of you may remember that if you're that old. Fountain pens. The, the kind of pen which had a liquid ink cartridge, and you had to learn how to use them correctly. Otherwise, they just became a real big, big mess, right? Ink was running everywhere. Well, one day in school, my cartridge ran dry. I needed another one, but I didn't have any money to buy one. Um, probably that week at some point, my family had gone to the shopping mall just in Winnipeg, and, and I made my way over to the drugstore, and, and I began to, to look at these ink cartridges for fountain pens, knowing that I needed one, but I didn't have any money to buy one. Uh, the longer that I looked, the more I desired that which I couldn't buy. And I remember pacing that aisle, wrestling with what I knew to be right and wrong, with the desire to have something I couldn't rightfully buy. So after several minutes of this, I, I slowly reached up, and I, and I took the package of ink refills, and I slipped them into my, my big, bulky winter jacket pocket. I didn't want to hang around any longer than I needed, so I, I looked up and down that aisle to see if anybody had seen what I had done. Then I made my way out of the store to where my parents were sitting in the food court across the way. And I was about, I was about a half dozen steps out the door when, when a fairly tall man wearing dark pants with a yellow stripe down the side approached me. And he he took my arm firmly by his hand, all while my parents are watching this unfold, and I was led back into the store to a back office where I was searched, questioned, and then ultimately punished for shoplifting. I knew it was wrong, but rather than ask my parents, who are and were loving, giving people, if I could have this, this simple refill, I chose to provide for myself in a way that was not according to God's will, and I suffered the consequences. Some of which meant that I was placed on an RCMP database as a young offender until I was 18, and I was prohibited from entering a shopper's drug mart store for one year. All because of a temptation to take a 69-cent item that wasn't mine. Now, I'm sure you have your own stories, 
But when I think about this one, about my story, I'm struck by the verse in Hebrews 4.15. And you may know this if if you want to flip there in your Bible. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was tempted just like me, yet was without sin. Huh. Tempted in every way. Like taking a first century writing utensil. Like looking at others in inappropriate ways. Like thinking bad thoughts about another. Like taking a shortcut in life to make things easier. In every way, the Bible says... Jesus was tempted, yet he was without sin. So Jesus gets you and me. He understands. He knows full well, which which makes him not only relevant to you and me. So if people think that Jesus isn't really relevant, Mm, no, it makes him very relevant And he also makes him the best example to follow if we truly want to be his disciple. So Jesus is baptized, and then immediately he is led into a place where he is is tempted. So let's read the story in Matthew 4, 1-11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Fasting in the scriptures always means fasting from food, abstaining from food. Doesn't mean abstaining from Netflix or, you know, like chocolate or anything like that. No, it's from from food. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. I want you to imagine this scene as as Matthew describes it. So Jesus is led into the wilderness, and he spends 40 days and 40 nights, not for the purpose of of a prayer retreat or a spiritual kind of getaway. He's not going there for any kind of holiday. He's going into this isolated place for the sole purpose of being tempted by the devil. Now, I struggle missing one meal. I'm trying to imagine missing 120 meals, right? 40 times 3. It's in the Judean desert. 
year and a half ago, Leanne and I were there. The Judean desert is so barren. It is so dry and hot and just void of anything significant. Like you, you would not last more than, than a day on your own, on my own. It's just, it's just nothing. Mark's gospel, if you look at Mark's gospel, he records that he was with wild animals. Okay? So this is, this is Survivor next level, right? This is Survivor 46 coming up or whatever the, the thing is. Jesus is physically and emotionally exhausted, and the Bible says that after 40 days, he was hungry. Probably an understatement. And it's precisely at this point of physical and emotional exhaustion where the devil, the tempter, arrives on the scene to tempt Jesus. Now, I need to explain a little uh, detail here. It's fairly important. In the New Testament, the same word that's used for tempting and testing, uh, perazzo is the word, it's the same word, but as one reads those words throughout the New Testament in its different contexts, it, it's clear in the various references that different intentions are meant by tempting and by testing. You see, a temptation is an enticement to get one to do something that is contrary to God's will, which is what Satan is going to try to do with Jesus. It's like my experience as a 12-year-old in Shopper's Drug Mart. A test is something that tries to prove one faithful to God's will. The Bible is clear that God never tempts people. That's James chapter 1. God does not tempt people. God was not the one tempting me to shoplift. But God does use circumstances to test a person's character with the intention of proving their faithfulness to him. And so you can read the story of Job, or you can read the story of Joseph. You can read the story of the Apostle Paul, who, who recognizes that he has some things in his life that are really, really challenging. He calls them thorns in his life. And yet he knows also that, that they are things that are being used to test whether he will stay faithful to God, whether he can trust in God and lean on God for everything in spite of the challenges that he experiences. So notice where the devil began, at the place where Jesus was most noticeably weak. His, his physical hunger, his need for food, his, you know, imagine uh, where he's at emotionally and his thoughts and the Bible says that the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The devil is not dumb. Let's never think that the devil is uh, somehow this incompetent being. No, he is not. He is actually very, very wise, very, or very smart, very knowledgeable, right? Satan's not wondering whether Jesus really was the Son of God. He's, he's not trying to get Jesus to doubt his own identity. That's not what's going on here. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He was confident in his identity and why he came. Satan did as well. Satan is trying to attempt to get Jesus to misuse his power as the Son of God to get Jesus to go against 
the will of the Father. If you are the Son of God, why should you stay hungry? Just turn these stones into bread and feed yourself. If you are weak, if you are hungry, how are you ever going to lead those disciples that, that just saw you baptized? How are you going to perform all those great miracles that you need to do as the Son of God? You're going you're gonna to need some strength. You're going to need something to, to help you do what you need to do. Just meet that, that one insatiable need you are battling right now, and you will experience the immediate results. Wow, that would be tempting, wouldn't it? You've just been going uh, 40 days without food. And this story here has got a whole lot of parallels with the story uh, of, of the Israelites centuries earlier. Right? If you think back about the story of, of the Israelites in the desert, they experienced a similar test when, when God led them out of Egypt and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Now, God was leading them the whole time, but they were, they were failing to remember this. They longed for the food back in Egypt. They didn't, they didn't like the simplicity of the desert. They thought it was kind of like boring, which it was. They wanted to be satisfied immediately. Give us what we need now. We're desperate. We liked what we had back there. And then in De Deuteronomy chapter 8, if, if you want a kind of bit of a reference point, Moses, Moses reminds them that God had led them for 40 years to humble them, to test them whether they would trust in God's provision for their very lives, all of it, not just the next meal. So that desire for self-gratification immediately, common to every single one of us, who among us does not have things in our life that we would love to have provided for right now? Present, powerful, it's so irresistible. The temptation to fulfill our desires apart from God's will, getting frustrated because God's not providing the way I want, questioning the goodness and the provision of God. Who doesn't experience this? And Jesus, he knows exactly what that's like. Israel, they had seen God at work. They should have believed, uh, you know, uh, that he would care for them, even when they found themselves wandering in the desert for such a period of time. And, and it appears like nothing is there for them. And yet, all they needed to do was to remember. God had said, trust me in this. Remember what I've done for you in the past. Remember, remember this time over here, and remember this time over here, and this time over here. I'll, I'll do it for you again, but you need to trust in me. You need to wait on me in my time and in my way. Jesus, he knew that lesson well, and he wasn't giving in. He remembered it. But you and I, we need to learn that lesson. We need to be reminded of that lesson again and again and again and again because we forget. We triumph over temptation not by, you know, not by um, you know, giving in to that insatiable need, thinking that, well, God owes us this, and, you know, we'll, you know, I won't do it again, you know. No, we triumph over temptation by trusting in God to provide in His way and in His time and according to His word, not ours. 
So the devil, he's pretty persistent, and uh, he says, okay. So he takes Jesus uh, to Jerusalem, the holy city, and he has Jesus stand on the highest point of the temple, and he tells him that if he truly is the Son of God, that he should just throw himself down, and angels will come and, and save him. I honestly have no idea what's enticing about jumping off a tower. Zero interest in bungee jumping and jumping out of a plane to parachute. Like, call me a scaredy cat, call me like non-adventurous. But, you know, I really have no, no desire to like go up on a high height and look down and kind of experience all that, which some people might 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 want to do. Um, at the, hi- the highest point of the temple at, at this um, time when, when Jesus is, is, is living, it's probably some 450 feet from the, the point down to the bottom of the Kidron Valley. And so that's like it's 45 stories. It's a, it's a long way down. And Satan is saying, you know what, go, do it. Well, what's the, what's the bizarre you know, temptation with something like this? Well, you have to understand what the temple represented. It was, a, it was a place of power. It was a place of protection. It was where God Almighty dwelled with his people. And again, uh, referencing um, the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6, Moses, he recounts uh, when the Israelites tested God in the wilderness because they were asking the question of God, like, are you really, are you really with us? Are you really here among us? And they made demands of him. If, if, if God is truly with us, then he will do this. If God truly cares for us, then he will do this. He will, he will step out with his power and he will do this. If he truly is all-powerful, then he is going to you know, fill in the blank. So Satan, the tempter, he's playing off this, and he's saying, if God is really with you, Jesus, if he truly is your protector, your provider, he will do this for you, and you can count on it. And you and I, we might laugh at the notion of, you know, jumping off a high tower to demand something from God, but, but how often do we question God's presence and his power among us. Uh, we, we, we question his goodness when, when things don't go as we hoped. And we ask, huh, I'm just not sure if, if God is, is really listening. We question his power when, when a loved one is not healed. We've been praying, we've been fasting, and we just don't know why God's power is not being made manifest. We wonder, you know, uh, when he's silent, why our prayers are going unanswered. Why, God, are you, are you silent? Aren't you, aren't you hearing us? We make promises to God about something that we're going to do in our life. Oh, God, I will change this in my life, if only you do this. Fill in the blank. It sounds kind of petty, but we do it. We question God's presence. We question his power. We find ourselves in these spots more often than we'd like to admit. Jesus stands firm and 
Again, you know, the Satan's not, not going to give up. So he takes Jesus to this high mountain, which is really interesting because in Israel, there's really not a lot of high places. Um, it's, it's not flat, but it's not like the Rockies. It's not like B.C. And so, you know, what this high mountain is, this high place, what things, what kingdoms he's showing Jesus, not totally sure. Is this some kind of a vision? Don't know. But he's showing him all of the kingdoms of the world, tempting him with power, with, with authority. If only Jesus worshipped him. The temptation of, of, of exalting self, lifting, lifting oneself up. The temptation to get it all right now. And the crazy thing about this temptation is that Jesus knew that he had everything that was being shown to him in the first place. Like, he knew that, that he was going to be crowned the king of it all. He would be exalted. He would be lifted up over all the rulers, over all the principalities, and, and the world would know. But, but that road to receiving the crown, Jesus knew was not paved with, with glitter and gold. Jesus knew that, that his crowning, his coronation, was not going to happen by lifting himself up, by exalting himself, but by being lifted up, ultimately on a cross, making himself nothing, pouring himself out, and dying. So Jesus willingly submitted, willingly surrendered his pleasures, his pursuits, his pride, his plans. Remember, he is human, fully God, yet fully human and tempted in every way. And he surrenders it all by emptying himself and making himself nothing. We know that self-exaltation and all the temptations that come with it is really easy. You and me are tempted probably daily to do something that is going to lift ourselves up. Jesus shows us a different way. Jesus shows us a much more difficult pathway of making ourselves nothing. And in God's economy... The scriptures say that those who humble themselves, those who do pour themselves out, those who do make themselves nothing, those are the ones who God lifts up. So these temptations of, of gratifying self and protecting self and exalting self, that, like this is my story. Is it your story? And guess what? It's part of Jesus' story. He gets it. He understands. Hebrews, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Later on in Hebrews, it also says, because he, Jesus himself, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Isn't that encouraging? You, you and I struggle with this daily, and yet Jesus gets, gets us. 
He knows everything about your challenges and about mine. He knows all about the struggles that you and I face. Yet he invites us to learn from him, to follow him, and he promises to be there to help us in our time of need. So what does, what does this then look like practically? I want you to think about one area in your life in which you, you struggle with. It's an area of temptation. And you, you, you would say it's not a test, it's a temptation. Although the two kind of can be linked, right? You have to kind of let God do the work in you. I want you to think about one area in your life which you experience temptation. And then, and then think about these three practical tools that come out of this story in Matthew chapter 4. Here's the first tool. Jesus teaches us to resist the devil. It's possible. It is possible to resist the enemy of our soul. The tempter does not have the ultimate power in your life. He does not. Two people who knew Jesus better than most and who experienced uh, this reality up close and, and personal gave the same advice. James, the, the, the half-brother of Jesus, said, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, so resisting, saying no, the enemy flees. Peter said, Be self-controlled and alert, your enemy the devil prowls around looking for somebody to devour, resist him. So resistance is possible. And it starts by saying no, just like Jesus. Well, how do you do that? Well, you clothe yourselves in the, in the full armor of God, the Bible says. We clothe ourselves in truth and prayer and righteousness. It's not done in your power. But here's the second tool. If, if it begins by, by resisting, the second tool is through the power of the Spirit. It's not, a, it's not done in your power. It's, it's in someone else's power. Your power is not self-generated. It comes from the same Spirit who descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. That same Spirit who gave him the power gives you and I the power. The same Spirit lives within you and me. As isolated as Jesus was, he was never alone in his struggles. Yes, he was in this barren wasteland in the Judean desert, even in the most difficult moments of his life, yet he was not alone. The Holy Spirit was with Jesus. That is true of you and me in our most dark, isolated moments. He's at work within you. This is what Paul says in Romans. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit living within you, permanently directing you, helping you in your, your darkest moments. You are not abandoned. You are not alone when faced with a choice. The Spirit is with you to direct you towards life, not towards death. But the devil, he also wants you to believe that in your temptation, in your struggle, that, that you can go against him on your own. Or that your struggles are too shameful to go to God for help, let alone telling other people. So you try to fight it on your own. 
Well, I got good news, or the Bible has good news for you. No temptation, the scripture says, says, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's great news. Your challenge, your area of temptation is somebody else's as well. You're not alone. God will hear your cries for help. He is faithful. He will provide a way out. Are you open to asking for the way out? The third tool is through the guidance of the Word of God. Knowing God's Word has to be paramount. This is what's going to keep you on track from discerning what God's will is and maybe what your thoughts are or where your temptations are leading you. Know God's word. Jesus knew God's word. He wasn't going to be distracted. He wasn't going to be, you know, kind of wondering, oh, is this really what God says or not? No. He didn't argue with the devil. He didn't reason with him. He didn't try to impress uh, the enemy with a display of power or, or exorcism of demons. He stood on truth. He knew where the distortions were. He knew where the misuses of Scripture were. Do you know? And are you staying anchored? Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That might be the most important guideline for all the decisions of your life. If you and I choose to delight in God the way the psalmist is writing about, we wouldn't do anything contrary to his word. We wouldn't do anything contrary to his will. And when we delight in our walk with God, we are freed up to pursue our hopes and our dreams so that when temptation comes, we can ask, is this what, is this what God wants for me? Can I do this and truly love God and delight in him? You see, the truth is that we will find ourselves in the wilderness far more often than we'd like to admit. But we don't have to buckle under the pressure because Jesus has demonstrated for us that we can claim victory. He is our, he is our ultimate example. Ultimate example. When we have these kinds of aspirations before us to, to follow him and to learn from him and to trust in him, we're going to be able to resist the, the, the devil and the power of the Spirit through the guidance of his word, ultimately to accomplish the will of God. I want to invite us to stand as we commit this to, to heart, and I want to pray for us this morning. And if God's speaking to you in some very specific way, because this, this issue is common to us all, it may be applied slightly differently depending on what our struggles are, our challenges. But we can know that God's Spirit wants to continue to move and work within us. And so, Lord Jesus, we come to you today with um, the hope that we have in Christ, the hope that we have with the Spirit living within us. In spite of our failures, in spite of our, our um, stumblings, we are grateful that uh, we can live in victory. And so I pray today, Lord, that you would um, meet each one where we're at, that you would um, open our eyes to see those areas 
in our life that, that need some shoring up, that need some help, that uh, may need some uh, confession and repentance, some turning from, so that we can live fully and truly um, in the fullness and in the victory that you want for us. Thank you for Jesus for making it possible to have this forgiveness. We thank you that he is with us and willing to help us in our time of need. And we embrace this today as we uh, apply this to our heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said together, amen.